This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. All right, everybody. Hello. This is Jared from the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. You already know me. Um, I think you do, at least. Uh, this is a really exciting podcast uh, set up for today. As a lot of you know, I'm connected with um, an organization called Nasaga, and they pointed me in the direction of not just a interesting role-playing game or interesting company, but I think, and I genuinely mean this, an important company. Um, so let's sort of get into just a little bit of an introduction. The name of the company is Coyote and Crow LLC, um, and there's an RPG of the same name. And to my understanding, even though I have a couple of folks here that work with the company, they seem to also be coming out with some other games, um, you know, in basically like right now in and in the near future. Um, I don't want to steal any of their thunder with the exception of just sort of saying here, I've been playing role-playing games for a long time. I mean, everything from D&D to White Wolf games to old-school game paranoia. I mean, just a lot of different games. And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of diversity within those types of settings, whether you're talking about a horror setting or a gothic setting or a fantasy setting. But at the same time, you know, how many times can you play a wizard? You know what I mean? And there's so many games out there that they end up feeling very similar. This is a game where I can honestly say that it's not the case. Um, in this particular game, the whole idea, the whole premise behind it is what if um, white European colonization didn't happen in the Americas and what would have happened with the indigenous folks that were living um, in the Americas and, and where would that have gone? It's almost like an alternate history type setting. And I have Logan and Kitty here from that company um, and we're just going to shoot the breeze about this game and a few other topics over, you know, maybe the next hour or so. So, hey guys, how are you? I'm doing pretty hey. good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm super excited about this um, opportunity to talk to you both. Um, website looks amazing. Um, the product that you guys are putting out looks amazing. So, um, I'd love to just sort of sort of get right into it. Um Maybe, Kitty, we can sort of start with you. Could you talk a little bit about um, your involvement with not just the role-playing game, but just like the the company in general? Yeah, so um, I've been mostly involved with like trying to do organized play stuff. Um, we're learning as we go, uh, but we're working on building out a company called Akinana Circle, which will be sort of like a sidecar company to Coyote and Crow, where we're going to be focusing... Uh, on subscriber subscription based like organized play and also we've been working with Connor closely to help set up organized play at cons at library events at the the saga conference which uh, myself and Logan will both be at in October and um, just trying to get people into the world and playing the game and um, enjoying themselves because like you said it is it is a unique setting. It's a, I, I like to think of it as an aspirational future where we can, we, we can see what it, what things could be like without the sort of hard parts. 
No, or with sure. Different hard parts, I guess I should say. No, yeah. absolutely. And and Kitty, um, what specifically do you do within the company? I know you had mentioned before we went on that, like you you do um a bit of the history, um, sort of the ethos behind the game. Yeah. So my my uh, wheelhouse, my my dad was a tribal historian. I um, started off in history and um, lots of history. And so that's, that's kind of my first love. I was also an elementary school teacher, special education teacher for a lot of years. So for me, I love talking about the, um, the parallel history up until 1400 when the cataclysmic event, um, called the Alvis, which I think Logan will probably get into more later, but when the cataclysmic event happened, that stops white settler colonialism from hitting not just here, but anywhere. Um, because it changes, it changes the entire course of history. Um, so I like, I like thinking about like that parallel history up until 1400 and then like sort of working in how it would have diverged and how things would have changed. Uh, my own, uh, roots are with, um, East Coast, Eastern Woodlands tribes, Haudenosaunee of Seneca and, uh, Eastern Woodlands of Lenape. And so, you know, I'm very interested in, um, like, starting with the great law of peace, right? Which, which would have been hundreds of years before the Alvis. We already had over here on, in the Eastern seaboard, a very well-established uh, political uh, structure, political alliance at in 1400. So how would that have maintained? How would it have changed? Um, where, where would things have gone differently without the introduction of colonialism and, um, you know, land grabs and diseases and everything that, that sort of put us off track. So yeah, I am really into that part. Um, I'm also really into talking about how this world differs fundamentally from the world that we currently live in. And, uh, that's the real aspirational part. That's the part that I think, um, you allude to when you're talking about how important this is, right? Like, what does it look like to live in a place where you don't have people dying on the street of hunger, literally, you know, like I live in a big city in America and literally I see people sleeping on the sidewalk every day. Right. What if we didn't have that? What, like, what are the things that we could do in a society that where the fundamental like building blocks are in community care and in, in family support and family structure, you know, and there's like little things that will crop up when people are playing games like, um, you know, oh, we, we don't actually have police the way that, you know, in, in Cahokia, the way that, that we have police in the United States, like that's not a thing that exists, or we don't have, you know, the same, uh, like sort of xenophobic lines in the sand of like, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. It's, it's, it's an interesting and different, it's a different, it's a different world. Yeah. What I love about that description is how rooted it is in, the historical record, you know, and how you're sort of building a bridge between what we know about um, the different indigenous peoples of the Americas and building that bridge to what it could be. It reminds me a little bit too of like, even just as a classroom teacher, watching kids' heads spin when you talk about like Tenochtitlan, you know, from um, in Mexico, where it's like, not only do kids not know much about it, they also make all kinds of assumptions about what that city was like. And when they realize that, um, the city was 
arguably more modern than any of the, you know, cities in Italy that was, you know, thriving during the Renaissance at the time. It's like, it almost takes a little bit of like nudging them on the heads to be like, why would I lie to you? You know what I mean? So it's just great that this game gives a voice to people that, and let's just be honest here, in the United States, nobody likes talking. Well, not nobody, that's a strong word. A lot of people don't like talking about these issues, you know? So, um, Kitty, I have one yeah. other follow-up. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was oh. just agreeing. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I had a follow-up question for you. Um, were you interested in these topics before you connected with the company? Or was it something, was it more like when you connected with the company, it got you more invested in learning about some of that history and such? Well, like I said, my dad was a tribal historian, so I grew up with it. Um, and... You know, I, I grew up like very steeped in the, the, not just the history, but also like the stories of where we were, uh, you know, like mm -hmm. what things were, what was happening. And, and, um, you know, my bachelor's degree was in, um, history and American Indian studies. So I, you know, got a pretty good grounding in, sort of big concept stuff uh at that point but yeah like i grew up in it right and the values and ethos like uh you know i had a kind of uh odd bringing but in in tribal communities in two different like radically different contexts but they were both tribal communities and so i was able to get a sense of like what that looks like and what that feels like and what that smells like and you know all of the things that go into uh like what a tribal culture is right and so right. you know i've always been sort of walking in and in, in between um understanding that like i know we can do this <laughs> like i know that we as human beings can live in a way that is more empathetic um but i also live in a modern american you know major city so right. i also see like the other way that things are and um and so I think like what I enjoy so much about role playing games in general is the opportunity to try on something else, right? Like you, we have the chance, we have the chance to try on a different gender identity or a different personality type. It's like, it gives us like this whole, whole great sandbox to like mess around. Right. And, um, what I want and really hope that people can do with Coyote and Crow is try that on, right? Like yeah. try on a society that is different than the one we live in because the, like most TTRPGs are, are, let's face it, to some extent based in Western mythology and, and you know, Western European story, right? Like even the really, we're, we're sort of interesting time now where things are coming out that are not based in that, right. That are rooted in like African culture or like coyote and crow or, um, Klebet alley just put out a, a new board game called bird of fort. That's, that's also, you know, rooted in, um, indigenous values and indigenous perspective. And I think it's like reverse Oregon trail. <laughs> right. Great. Sure. Um, but so I think that there's like, yeah, it's a good, it's a fun, it looks fun. I'm waiting for mine to come in the mail. But, um, I think that like it's, it's important because everybody 
needs this, you know, like, like it's not just like the 2% of Native Americans or 2% of people in the United States, so-called United States who identify as Native Americans. Like, sure, we need this because representation matters, but like everybody needs this. Like we all need to try something different. Like we all need to spend a few minutes a month living in a different kind of world so that we can imagine something better. Yeah, like uh, using the game almost like almost like as a cultural or educational vehicle for progress in a way. I hope I'm not uh, misinterpreting what you're saying, but... Yeah, I mean, I think of it, I, I think a lot of, you know, the way that I see Connor, who's the lead developer for the game, the way that I see him talk about it in interviews and on his blog, like, I think for him, and I hope that he doesn't get mad at me for saying this, but I think for him, <laughs> this game is sort of his activism, Yeah. right? Like, it's it's a chance to try it try it out and and that's what we really want to do like that's what we want Akinana Circle to do like we want you to play this game <laughs> like we no, want totally. you to come to Cahokia we want you to come into this world you don't have to be a native person to play it like let's play this game yeah no totally um you know the other thing too and then um Logan I don't want you to feel left out I'm about oh, to okay. I, no no I'm about to uh <laughs> send some questions your way. But again, like um, a couple of things that I really appreciate just based on my own sort of research. You know, one thing, when I say research, I mean like of, your, of the uh, game itself. I don't think at any point do you guys kind of say that the game is supposed to be a utopia. I mean, there's still conflict. There's still going to be oh, things, absolutely. right. There's still going to be things that are going to cause that kind of tension and strife that one would want in a game, right? But at the same time, right? And I'm just going to get a little personal for a second. What sounds really very different about this is, again, you know, Kitty, your word that you used right at the very beginning of this podcast, the word aspirational. I'm used to playing games like White Wolf games, which don't get me wrong, I love. But it's like you almost need a shower when you're done, you know, especially (laughs) if you're doing it the right way. This is like the opposite. This is like, I want to like, you know, um, thump my chest a little bit and feel good about something, which doesn't always happen in every role-playing setting. So again, that's just my having not played the game yet. I hope to play it soon. Um, that's kind of like a vibe that I'm sort of I'm sort of getting, which I hope is is like an accurate one. I mean, yeah, so- if you're yeah, go uh, ahead, Logan. If you're serious about that, I know where we can find some good story guides for you. I'm rather sure. And that's actually a really nice entry point to you, sir. Uh, Logan, can you talk a little bit about what um, role you play within the company? And again, jump in if I'm incorrect here, but you've been within um, working within this game for quite a long time, right? Like almost since the beginning. Is that fair to say? Um, I joined right after the main core rule book was finished. I sent Connor an email like three weeks too late to join the core rule book. And he was very open to it. He was like, there's literally nothing but scraps left at this point. And I think you deserve more than that. Um, keep in touch. We've got a lot coming up. Uh, and so the very next time that anything was happening was stories of the freelance. And I'd been in his inbox like every two weeks since that initial contact. And he was like, fine. He go and <laughs> gotcha. Um, you said earlier that this game is important, and I I think that's there's not a better word for it. I really do think this game is important. I use that word all the time. I it's it's very important to show how things could be different. Like you were talking a minute ago about utopia, 
And that is a criticism that's leveled at the game that, oh, it's about utopia. There's no conflict. And anyone who's read the book or looked through it can tell that, no, there's quite a bit of conflict, just that one of them isn't eating. And what kind of scathing indictment of our society is it that we view the possibility of not literally freezing to death on the street or not starving to death as utopian? Like, shouldn't that be bare bones in a developed society like you would think right well yeah <laughs> that that's like an entire not an entirely separate conversation but it's definitely part of part of this conversation because of what you guys are striving to do i think you know but yes, yes. i get i completely understand what you're saying it's like one um, of those head scratching moments but go on <clears throat> to answer your question from a minute ago i am the lead story guide for coyote and crow um i've written a couple of adventures for it only one two uh, one or two of them is published, depending on when this comes out. Um, I've got a couple <laughs> that I'll be running at Gen Con. Um, if you look up an actual play online, there's, I think, still a 50-50 shot that you'll be seeing the mug that you can't currently see because this is an audio-only podcast. Um, because I will drop almost anything to help this game flourish and thrive because... Growing up, we had D&D and we had a bunch of other um, games and especially for natives, like you had a choice back in the day. You could pick poor representation or no representation. Um, Maztica, uh, the um, Shadowrun, uh, some of the White Wolf games from back in the day like they've gotten better representation all over the board has gotten better mm -hmm. but you know and almost all of the games that we play are very eurocentric um because there's like there isn't a DD &D setting that focuses on the indigenous kind of cultures that's not like the old Maztica let's go in and colonize mm -hmm. game setting and Coyote and Crow gives us an opportunity to play characters that look like us that look like our cultures that aren't Eurocentric that offer those stories outside the monomyth um, and that's like just something I think is incredibly important and not to be understated <coughs> So in terms of you mentioned having to make some choices sort of growing up, what choices did you make? Like, what did you play? Like, how did you sort of cut your teeth, um, like in the world of like writing adventures and storytelling and such? Oh, D and D. Like, yeah, that was your thing. I, mm, okay. So I was lit. I'm a second edition gamer. I was literally changed amid stacks of second edition AD and D rule books. Oh yeah. My first rattles <laughs> were dice tubes. Like, um, that was the first one I played. My first love was vampire. Oh my um, God. Really? Yes. Which like, edition? Uh, second edition was the one I started revised was pretty good. Um, the less said about, uh, the Requiem, the better, Yes. And I think V20 is amazing. I think V5 has its moments. I've I've got some complaints, but like 
the viewers at home can't see it, but Jared, you can yes. see the Malkavian tattoo I have here. So, yeah, it's my pretty much my favorite game. I've been narrating the same game for 20 years since college. Oh, damn. So believe, yeah, so I mean, but I, I, at the same time, I don't necessarily want to sidetrack because I could literally talk about, you know, uh, the world of darkness indefinitely. But so could I. But yeah. So but that's where you cut your teeth. So like that D10 yeah. system and OK. So when did you realize, if you don't mind me asking, um, when did you realize you wanted to kind of take it to the next step and like literally find a company to, to work for and do it professionally? Oh, uh, well, like I got to that Kansas. OK, so early on, my parents were like, oh, that doesn't exist. They don't they don't have people who make money doing this um, <laughs> right. of course given that i don't live in kansas anymore i clearly eventually realized they were wrong um when did i actually decide to do it i wanted to for a long long time but i focused on um i focused on my family until my children were like i was a stay-at-home dad mm -hmm. for the first nine, 10 years of my children's life. Um, it wasn't until recently, not recently, like three years ago at this point, Jesus, it's been a long time that I started like actually reaching out and trying to do things in the space. And one of the biggest, uh, forgive me for the terminology, but one of the biggest coups I got <laughs> was coyote and crow. Right. Um, because I had a lot of passion for it. And like growing up, I got, and back me up if you felt this too, Kitty. Like I felt all the imposter syndrome. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a ton of experience running games. So when I ran my game at um, PAX Unplugged last year, it was my first time running a game for strangers. <laughs> And I was incredibly anxious about it, but uh, it, it's a system that is pretty simple and pretty accessible, which is, I think, um, one of the selling points. And I wasn't even talking about like Coyote and Crow. I'm talking about just in general, you get a lot of imposter syndrome oh, growing yeah. up native in modern America. Um, yes. Yeah. Oh, I have my own form of uh, pretendian syndrome, but uh, um. Because, great word. <laughs> yeah, I didn't come up with it. It is an amazing word, though. It is. Oh, um, but I, Coyote and Crow kind of bypassed that because it was something that I knew more about. If, with Coyote and Crow, I felt like, no, this, this matches my experience. I can help. You know, I didn't feel at the time like I had the, the, I just straight up didn't have the cojones to uh, apply to some of my favorite publishing companies. And I later mm -hmm. would, but with coyote and crow, I felt very much like it doesn't matter if I feel ready. I'm just going to throw myself into it because something that especially is coming out lately with like the writer's strike and everything like that. You find out how few native voices there are in writer's rooms and how much, um, how loud they have to be to be heard at all. And then they're still ignored half the time. But with Coyote and Crow, um, 
I didn't have to worry about that. It was a game for natives by natives. And when I say for natives, I mean it gives us a chance to play in our own culture, kind of. And we kind of throw open the doors and make it accessible to just about everyone. Um, that was a very long kind of rambly answer, but I hope no, I got it. No, it wasn't at all. No, no, you never have to worry about rambling on this podcast because usually rambling oh, good, is a good thing. Do that no, 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 you don't need to worry about that at all. I do want to back up just for one second because, Kitty, I'm realizing I didn't ask you this question. Um, did you grow up as a gamer? You know what uh, I mean? Like, you play not, games not or? A, not a role-playing game player. We had a lot of board games um, and I... I played a lot of board games with friends, um, sort of the classic ones mostly, but uh, role-playing games I started getting into more like later high school, like junior year of high school, um, which I think is like when most people start getting into them. And I actually started off with Changeling. Oh, wow. Gotcha. Man, we could have like an entirely separate podcast about the world of darkness no it's very cool you know what else is kind of funny i very rarely talk about role playing on this podcast just because it just hasn't come up yet but to me it's like it's probably the thing that i do more than any other when it comes to gaming genre so this is this is uh, very fun in lots of different ways um all right so here's here's what i want to try to um get out there to the audience. So, and and I don't know, Logan, if because I know that you have a lot to do with like the mechanics of the game. Um, is that correct? Yes. Uh, like, so, could you, could you give a very brief description of like how you actually play? Oh, sure. Um, since we keep talking about world of darkness, it's actually more similar to that than D and D. Okay. It's a dice pool system. You use D 12s. Um, you build a dice pool based off of a, rotating variety of stats. Um, and I say it like that because it's not just, if you break it down, it is one big stat, one little stat, and that makes your dice pool. You roll it against target number. Got if it. it hits or exceeds that, uh, you get a success. More successes are good. Again, pretty familiar to dice pool games. Um, but one of the interesting caveats is that Every role has an option for different stats you can use. Like it will be uh, this or this, and you can choose mm-hmm. most of the time. If you don't have any ranks in the skill, you have to use the lowest of the two options. So, you know, if you if the role requires a uh, strength plus um, a strength or uh, agility plus brawl roll and you don't have brawl you've got to use whichever of those is lower so you might very well be rolling a one on things you don't have versus a nine on stats you do got it is there Uh, a system for like classes kind of like a DD, or for example clans like in vampire the masquerade well no there's not um i mean yes and no okay So within Coyote and Crow, you've got archetypes and paths. (laughs) And archetypes are classes, are the thing that is most like classes in that paths, in that class, sorry. No, no, take your time, dude. All good. 
Archetypes are like classes in that they usually kind of indicate how you function in society. Um, Whereas fighter kind of says that you're a fighter, you get a package of skills related to fighting. Um, The warrior archetype does get a bonus to strength, but it does not necessarily mean you're a warrior. Um, It's how you go about things, not what you do. Um, Sure, the guard is a warrior. The soldier is a warrior. Uh, The office manager who is really into the Cahokian version of the art of war would also be a warrior. The um, sanitation director who comes up with the most efficient battle plans to divide the streets and go out and aggressively attack um, the big heavy garbage from festival day is also a warrior. That's that's kind of what it comes down to. And paths are the other half of classes in that that's how you get one of your powers. That's how you get your Adonadi ability. Um, Adonadi ability. Now, paths actually kind of get into the world building of the setting because um, during the Awis, which was brought up, there was a great big purple light in the sky. Uh, this was a meteor that was striking the planet. People say that was the day the creator left. What we can say for sure is that it was a meteor striking somewhere. Kitty has her own theories. Uh, I'll leave that to her in a minute. I think we might be ready for Are we ready for that? Because, see, what you guys can't see is we're doing this on Zoom, and Kitty has her hand up. <laughs> do you want to uh, uh, do you wait, jump in? I had my hand up. I had my hand up about the uh, the archetypes versus um class like i always think of class as kind of your job right like i am a bard or whatever um like fighters a lot of times would be sort of mercenaries or paladins like work for their god or whatever um archetype is more like your personality type and and less connected to the transactions of how you make your living um, cause then your, your job could be, or like how you make your living or how you spend your time could be anything else. And because this isn't, this isn't even a proto-capitalist society, whereas like most D&D settings are at least proto-capitalist. Um, it's, it has those, those things are not connected. Your identity is not tied to what you do to, uh, you know, make money necessarily in the same way that it is in, in D&D settings. Um, but yeah, my theory on where the Awas hits, because uh, I'm personally pretty tired of people asking what happened to Europe when the meteor happened. So I'm uh, in my head canon, uh, believe that it hit England. <laughs> and um, so we don't even have to worry about it because there is no England. Unfortunately, Ireland and Scotland had to go too, but there is no England, um, probably not much France or Scandinavia to speak of either. Um, so, you know. It makes Again, it a little simpler. <laughs> this is Kitty's headcanon. What's happened to Europe hasn't been revealed. Um, <laughs> but Not there anymore. <laughs> but that Kitty makes that up because the first question so many people ask is, well, what about Europe? And when the game is literally about um, indigenous cultures, mostly in North America right now, why do... Like, it's just not, it's the most boring question you could ask. Um, but 
to go on with what I was saying about paths is yeah. that after the meteor hit, uh, these strange purple lines started appearing on plants, animals, and all manner of things. Um, also, at the same time, the seas boiled, uh, the earth got a lot colder, and basically the entire planet started trying to kill us. And that's part of why colonization didn't happen, because you couldn't cross a boiling sea. Makes sense, yeah. Now, it's been about 400 years since then. Um, technology leaped ahead because a lot of people died, and then tribes kind of smushed together geographically. They built walls. They kind of built nation states and different confederacies, different alliances. Forgive me, I'm just getting over a cold. That's okay. Um, built different alliances. And then, about 100 years ago, there was what was called the All Tribes War. And the All Tribes War is exactly what it sounds like. Everybody went to war with everybody in the native fashion rather than the European one. So it was a lot more about skirmishes, raids, than I'm going to kill everyone. Mm-hmm. Um but within the last 50 years, the world started receding. Like, it started calming down. The seas aren't boiling. The snow is kind of pulled back. There's still no Canada, unfortunately. It's, it's all permanent ice zone up there. Um, and because all that technology no longer has to go towards survival, now you can thrive. And one of the advances within the past couple hundred years was in those purple lines I mentioned before taking the DNA of animals and as part of a rite of initiation, you mixed it together with human DNA. Everybody does this throughout um, Cahokia at the very least, or at least like 98% of people. I'm sure there's still holdouts who don't. After you've gone through the rite of passage, you get purple lines across your body. That's why most Cahokian art has, that's why most Coyote and Crow art has people with those beautiful purple lines. And about 10% of people gain an ability, a power. And it's assumed that every character has one of these powers unless they don't want one. And the paths dictate what power you get because the paths are related to the animal you got that Adonati DNA from. Um, Connor swears it's Adonati, but I started saying (laughs) Adonati, and it's really hard to change. Right, Uh, right, right. (laughs) Now, those paths are like Path of the Bison, Path of the Rabbit. Those are the Cahokian paths. They're kind of related to the old tradition of um, giving a young person a feather from a young eagle. And the idea was that it was ethically harvested so that it bound the two together so they'd grow together. And it's the same kind of idea that you harvest this DNA and you bind it to the animal's DNA so that you take on some of their better characteristics. It is not a spirit animal. Um... Now, people do get a choice uh, to decide what 
animals they want to be, what animals they want to take the path of, but it's still not quite a spirit animal. There's more that goes into it, but that's the the quick and dirty answer. No, it's a great answer. So I feel like I have a pretty good sense of um, what it what it might look like in terms of like your setting and kind of designing a character. Now, just this kind of like... Hey there, friends. Jared here. If you are wondering what in the name of God just happened to this podcast, I can explain. So apparently I have the world's worst laptop and about 35 minutes into the conversation um, with Logan and Kitty from Coyote and Crow Games, uh, my computer decided to crap out. So for a variety of different reasons, um, the decision that we sort of went with in terms of this particular podcast is given their schedules at Coyote and Crow and how you know massively um, big the company is getting and how busy everybody is, what, we, what I decided, what we decided essentially is to, um, for me to basically do just a little bit of a monologue to kind of end the podcast here. Um, and then eventually, whether it's Logan and Kitty or, um, you know, you know, one of them, both of them, whatever, um, they'll actually sort of come back on and we can kind of get into some of the other topics that we missed. The good thing, though, is if you listen to the, you know, if you listened already to 35 minutes of this podcast, um, we covered a, a really good amount of ground about, you know, where the company came from how the game works. We talked about mechanics. We talked about particularly like the history component of um, like where it is that the Coyote and Crow designers are kind of coming from in terms of the game, right? So I feel really confident about what's there. And just to make a couple of final points about at least my take on why, you know, if you sort of heard in my voice why during that podcast it seemed that I was, whatever word you want to use, whether moved or impressed or excited. Look, um, anybody who knows me well, whether it's a student that's had me in the past or, you know, friends or, you know, people like that, family, whatever. On one hand, um, I don't know if I would consider myself an activist per se, You know, I've never been, for better or worse, a crusading type like others out there. And again, I want to stress for better or worse. Um, But at the same time, um, you know, if you ask students or or friends or people that have ever felt marginalized, I know that they would probably tell you that I've always been an ally um, to people who find themselves in those kinds of situations for whatever reason. So I want to segue from just that sort of point to what... I was really sort of moved by um, when it came to everything that we had talked about, um, you know, in the podcast that you just listened to. On one hand, and I've said this before, games as a community builder, as um, a place for inclusivity, it, it, it makes sense, right? Anybody can sit at a gaming table. It doesn't matter who you are, what you look like, where you're from. Um, what you believe about the world, what religion you know you follow, or if you do, or whatever the case may be, um, anybody can sit down at a table, and whether it's a group of people playing a board game, or you know maybe you're at a gaming convention and you're playing a game run by somebody that you've just literally met for the first time, the bottom line is games are almost a natural place to bring people together and to be really an inclusive environment. On the other hand, though. 
Um, it does seem that over, you know, whatever the last 40, 50, 60 years, whatever, however far back you want to go. Um, it, the, the bottom line, though, is that's not always necessarily the case when it comes to making these games and people that are writing these rules and who, you know, is actually sort of putting, you know, these games out, right? Uh, and whose folks' perspectives that make the game. So, um, true story, right? Even when I was a little kid, I mean, even middle school, high school, whatever, um, I always wondered when I look at playing games, and again, you all have been role-playing games forever. You know, when you look at a D&D book, um, with no offense meant to D&D, but the bottom line is, if you look at those books from the 70s, if you look at those books from the 80s, 90s, and it has gotten better, but the bottom line is, I would always sort of wonder, if I were a girl, why would I ever want to play this game? Um, especially because that women were often portrayed in those books, right? You know, um, women being sort of scantily clad, um, overly sexualized, um, you know, all of that. And, and I always sort of wondered what that would be like. Like, why would a girl ever feel comfortable about, about, you know, going and playing this game? And again, that it's hurtful because, you know, it's something that I really love. And ultimately, I've always believed that everybody should get to do this stuff, right? Now, um, fast forward to now. Is that narrative that I just presented better? Yeah, absolutely, right? So I think that whether you're looking at TV shows or you're looking at games or you look at look at the way that games have evolved, even if you are talking about D&D or other games of that ilk, right? Um, not seeing that as much, um, which definitely gives me hope. And, and now this brings me to why it is that, um, you know, Coyote and Crow's products means... And that is that we're finally kind of getting to a place where you are starting to see different groups of people who have not always been represented well, um, and that's putting it lightly, that are coming out with games, but creating games that are not necessarily for the people depicted as the characters in the book, but games that give other folks an opportunity to see what the world might be like through those characters' eyes, which is exactly in the case of role-playing, that's exactly what role-playing really should be about. So if I can be a little bit more specific, right? If you listen to the podcast together, the fact is that, you know, talking with Logan and talking with Kitty, right? This company of indigenous people making a game of indig indigenous people but putting that game out there and really asking people play that game and to get a feeling of what some of those cultures from the America 1400s and before and beyond, um, what is it like to be in those shoes? So not only is it a fun, but it also gives people an opportunity to learn a little bit of more about the world not just through your own sort of perspective, but rather through others. And that is really why I was so impressed and taken aback when I did my research about um, Coyote and Crow um, company itself, and then, you know, really getting a chance to talk to Logan and Kitty. So um, I think that ultimately I'm going to leave it at that. I really enjoyed doing the podcast, and I hope that the little monologue that I just sort of cut here 
I hope that it, of why it is the really wanted interview, um, Logan and Kitty, and why it is I am really just um, happy in so many ways as a person who really likes games that uh, that this sort of been published. You know, same one oneness out in the same way that I was so happy to interview uh, Tori Brown. Um, he's a wonderful, you know, game designer. Um, and again, you know, you get a different sort of perspective on game. I mean, the games out there are about women's suffrage, right? So for me, I would love as a gamer to see more of that stuff happening as we move forward as a group. So hope you enjoyed that monologue. I hope you get a chance to t uh, take a look at Coyote and Crow games and good luck to them. Good luck to all of you. Be safe. Drink a lot of water. And I hope everybody is having a wonderful day, afternoon, or night, depending on when you're looking to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore nextgen underscore inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.